Welcome to the Warriors of Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. Warriors of Grace is about helping men from generation to generation become gospel men in private, in the home, in the church, and in public through the Word of God. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Warriors of Grace podcast, men. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our Helping Men Become Better Theologians series, talking about church history and the Christian man. Now, studying church history is just straight up fun. And so I hope that this is going to be a really helpful episode for you because maybe you've never thought of studying church history before. Maybe you don't know what church history is. And so this will be a good introduction for you today. Church history is a study of God's providential care of his people and how the word of God has formed God's people over time. Church history deals with the history of God's people from the beginning in the New Testament with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And from those small beginnings, God blessed his people in such a way that the church has expanded to encompass people from every country in the world. Now, the first question to ask regarding church history is a question of its value. Why study church history? Well, we've talked about the province of God already, and this provides us a ready-made answer. Knowing God's providence as it's worked out over time, it helps us understand God himself better. It also helps the church to avoid the mistakes of the past. While teaching the church positive things about the past or from the past, especially as we learn from pastors and teachers who have helped to formulate biblical doctrine. Church history also helps the modern church to, to be truly and biblically economical. And, and we're not the first Christians. We need to understand that. And, and observing the centuries of the church militant, we can identify with the story of the church universal. It helps us to become discerning regarding the teaching we encounter. If the teaching we encounter is a repeated older heresy, then we should not only discard it, but warn others against it. This is why we need to understand what theology is as well. We need to understand what scripture teaches, but we also need to understand what the church has taught. Now, there are two main subjects to study under the larger category of church history. One, the events of church history as the church spread to every nation on the earth. And second, the teaching of the church, particularly in the way that heresy prompted the teachers of the church uh, to, to the study of the scriptures in order to get at the truth. This is called historical theology. These are not completely separate categories as events and doctrines are interrelated and intertwined. However, it's helpful to learn church history with this distinction in mind. Now, many church historians agree in dividing the periods of ch- church history into four eras. The early church begins with Christ's person at work. And, and generally ends with Gregory the Great and the rise of Islam in 590 to 610 AD. The medieval church period begins with Gregory the Great and ends in 517, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Reformation church history starts in 517. Historians vary, however, as to the ending of the Reformation church period. Some put it at the Peace of Westphalia in 1648. Others put it at the time of the French Revolution in 1790. In terms of historical theology, it makes sense to end the Reformation era with the period of the late Orthodoxy in 
725 to uh, 790 AD. The modern church period would then cover 1790 to the present. These four periods exist uh, for the purpose, so the student of church history should not think that there's no overlap among the periods or that the people involved in the change of the era knew that such a change was happening. Now, let's consider some quotes from scholars of church history. In a survey of church history, Lecture 1, W. Robert Goffrey says, The church has had its up and downs throughout the centuries. It's had times of great strength and great weakness, of great faithfulness and great frustration, and wandering from the truth. But Christ has always fulfilled his promise that he would build his church and he would preserve his church, and that the church would never fail. Uh, Dr. W. Robert Godfrey, in a survey of church history, lecture one also says that the whole history of the church has shaped who we are as Christians today and has shaped the churches to which we belong. Philip Scoff, in History of the Christian Church 1.2, says history has two sides, a divine and a human. On the part of God, it is his revelation in the order of time, as the creation is his revelation in the order of space, and the successive unfolding of a plan of infinite wisdom, justice, and mercy, looking to his glory and the eternal happiness of mankind. And on the part of man, history is the biography of the human race and the gradual development, both normal and abnormal, of all of its physical, intellectual, and moral forces to find final consummation of the general judgment with its eternal rewards and punishments. Now, in 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy, John Piper details the lives of 21 leaders from church history who have inspired every generation of believers towards a greater passion for the Lord. We stand on the shoulders of the saints who have gone before us, exemplifying how to live and love God faithfully. Athanasius, who lived from 296 to 373 A.D., Piper writes, In Athanasius' lifelong battle for the deity of Christ against the Arians, who said that Christ was created, Athanasius said, Considering that this struggle is for our all, let us also make it our earnest care and aim to guard what we have received. And when all is at stake, it is worth contending. This is what love does. Augustine 354 to 430, John Piper writes of him, Augustine's songs of grace is unlike anything you will ever read in almost any modern book about grace. The omnipotent power of grace for Augustine is the power of sovereign joy. This alone delivered him from a lifetime of bondage to sexual appetite and philosophical pride. Discovering that beneath the vaunted powers of human will is a cauldron of desire holding us captive to irrational choices opens the way to see grace as a triumph of sovereign joy. Oh, how we need the ancient biblical insight of Augustine to free us from the pleasant slavery that foils the fulfillment of the great commandment and the finishing of the great commission. Martin Luther, 483 to 1546 AD, Piper writes this of him. Justification by faith alone, apart from works of the law, was the triumph of grace in the life of Martin Luther. He did, you might say, stand on his head for joy, and with him all the world was turned upside down. William Tyndale, 1494-1536, Piper wrote this of Tyndale, 
Man is lost, spiritually dead, condemned. God is sovereign, Christ is sufficient. Faith is all, Bible translation and Bible truth were inseparable for Tyndale, and in the end it was the truth, especially the truth of justification by faith alone, that ignited Britain with a reformed fire and then brought the death sentence to this Bible translator. John Calvin. John Calvin, 1509 to 1564. Piper wrote this of Calvin. For John Calvin, the triumph of God's grace in his own life and theology was the self-authenticating demonstration of the majesty of God in the word of Scripture. How are we to know that the Bible is the word of God? Do we lean on the testimony of man, the authority of the church, as in, the, as in Roman Catholicism? Or are we more immediately dependent on the majesty of God's grace? George Herbert 1593 to 1633, Piper said this of Herbert, the central theme of his poetry was the redeeming love of Christ, and he labored with all of his literary might to see it clearly, fill it deeply, and show it strikingly. John Owen, 1616 to 1683, Piper said this of Owen, Owen's personal holiness and public fruitfulness did not just happen to him. He pursued them. They were strategies of personal discipline and public authenticity that God used uh, to make him what he was. In all our life and ministry, as we care for people and contend for the faith, we can learn much from Owen's pursuit of holiness in private and public. John Bunyan, 1628 to 1688, Piper said this, he was even more explicit that there is divine purpose and design in suffering for the good of God's children and for the glory of his name. The great pilgrim's progress, as George Whitfield said, smells of the prison. It was born in suffering, and it portrays the Christian life as a life of affliction. But Bunyan saw his imprisonment as no more than what God had designed for him. George Whitfield, 1714 to 1770, Piper wrote this about Whitfield. At one level, Whitfield's power was a natural power of eloquence, and at another, it was a spiritual power of God to convert sinners and transform communities. There is no reason to doubt that he was the instrument of God in the salvation of thousands. David Branyard, 1718 to 1747, Piper writes this. Brainerd's smoldering misery of isolation and disease exploded in global missions beyond all imagination. Irony and disproportion are all God's way. He keeps us off balance with his unpredictable connections. We think we know how to do something big, and God makes it small. We think that all we have is weak and small, and God makes it big. John Newton, uh, 1725 to 1807. Piper writes, for Newton, his life was the clearest testimony to the heartbreaking mercy of God he ever saw. Even at the end of his life, he was still marveling that he was saved and called to preach the gospel of grace. William Cowper, 1731 to 1800, Piper writes, It is the completeness of Christ's justification that the Holy Spirit used to awaken and rescue Kuiper from the darkness of damnation that had settled over him. The war for Kuiper's soul was not ended, but the decisive battle had been fought and won by the gospel of justification by grace through faith alone. William Wilberforce, 1759 to 1833, Piper writes this of Wilberforce. What made Wilberforce tick was a profound biblical allegiance to what he called the peculiar doctrines of Christianity. These, he said, gave rise in turn to true afflictions for spiritual things and then break the power of pride and greed and fear and lead to transform morals, which lead to the political welfare of a nation. No true Christian can endure in battling unrighteousness unless his heart is aflame with new spiritual affections or passions. 
Charles Simeon, 1759 to 1836, Piper writes, May Simeon's life and ministry help us see persecution, opposition, slander, misunderstanding, disappointment, self-recrimination, weakness, and danger as a normal portion of faithful Christian living and ministry. I want us to see a beleaguered triumph in the life of a man who was a sinner like us and who year after year in his trials grew downward in humility and upward in his adoration of Christ and who did not yield to bitterness or the temptation to leave his charge for 45 years. Adoram Judson, 1788-1850, Piper writes, What sustained this man and his three wives was a rock-solid confidence that God is sovereign and God is good, and all things come from his hand for the good, sometimes the incredibly painful good of his children. George Mueller, 1805-1898, Piper writes, That was the chief passion and the unifying aim of Mueller's ministry, to live a life and lead a ministry in a way that proves God is real, God is trustworthy, and God answers prayer. He built orphanages the way he did to help Christians trust God. George G. Patton, 1830-1911, Piper says his courage when he was surrounded by armed natives came through a kind of praying that claimed the promises under the overarching submission to God's wisdom as to what would work most for God's glory and his good. Hudson Taylor, 1832-1905, Piper writes this of Taylor, Taylor experienced such a powerful revelation of the inexpressible reality of union with Christ as an absolute and glorious fact of security and sweetness and power that it carried in its own effectiveness. It gave vivid meaning of the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Charles Spurgeon, 1834 to 1892, Piper writes this, I would say with Spurgeon that in the darkest hours it is the sovereign goodness of God that has given me the strength to go on. The granted promise that he rules over all my circumstances and means it for good no matter what anyone else means. J. Gresham Machen, 1881 to 1937, Piper says this, The overarching lesson to be learned from Machen's mixture of weakness and strength is that God reigns over his church and over the world in such a way that he weaves the weaknesses and the strengths of his people with infinite wisdom into a fabric history that displays the full range of his glories. Well, man, if you're you're interested in further studying church history, I want to recommend a couple books. First, I want to recommend two volumes. It's called The Story of Christianity by Justo Gonzalez. It is really good. And also, Nick Needham's work. Uh, It's published by Christian Focus. It's a multi-volume work. It's easy to understand, and it's very helpful. It'll help you to learn more about church history. And if you're wanting a little bit more, maybe check out the work of Kenneth Scott LaTourette or Philip Scoff and Eusebius and more. There's so much to study and learn and grow in this area. Uh, In fact, even reading uh, individually, uh, some of the men that I mentioned would be a good start, like, you know, John Owen and uh, John Newton and John Flavel, among others. Well, man, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Warriors of Grace podcast. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Warriors of Grace podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. 
If you want to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or search Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find our show on the front page of the website, servantsofgrace.org.